As a runner, I am built more for endurance than speed, but this was a night for both. I was 17, and I was in Camden, North London, to see a band play a gig with my friend Tom and his girlfriend. And we had traveled down on the train from my hometown of Bedford. This was about an hour's journey, and it was a school night. And whether the gig went on longer than I had anticipated, or we got distracted, I don't remember. But what I do remember is approaching the tube station from where we were expecting to take the underground to the main line, which would then take us home. And the closer and closer we got to it, the more and more closed it appeared to be. And by the time I was, as I remember, actually hanging on to the gates of the station, there was no denying that our plan for getting home had just gone wrong. The consequences of this were immediately apparent to us. We would miss the last train home. We would be in London late at night without knowing anyone. We would either have to get a taxi to take us all the way back to Bedford, which there was no way that we could afford, or we would have to call one of our parents and ask if they would either like to pay for a taxi to get us safely home, or they fancied driving down to London to pick us up. Or we could run as fast as we could towards the main train station and desperately hope to make it on time. It wasn't a great option, (laughs) but it was the best option we had. And so we set off, wearing heavy Dr. Martin boots, as we all were, because that was the fashion of the time, didn't help. Tom's girlfriend, being drunk and rather less helpful than the two of us, didn't help. At one point, she literally sat down in the middle of the road and said, it's too hard, I can't do it, I don't care. We picked her up, we dragged her along, the relationship didn't last. And what seemed like ages later, we ran down the stairs of the mainline train station just as the last train pulled into the station and opened its doors. A moment later, we were in. We were safe. Many of us will have run for a train or a bus or a plane Not many of us, I suppose, will have run for our lives. In ancient Israel, God assigned certain places to be cities of refuge. And they were places where people who had accidentally killed someone could flee to in order to escape vengeance from their victims' relatives. And this idea continued as Christianity spread across Europe. And church buildings could be uh, legally designated as sanctuaries uh, from the law even, from the 7th to the 17th centuries. And today, uh, diplomatic embassies can serve a similar purpose. The case of the WikiLeaks uh, founder, Julian Assange, has made that really obvious in the last couple of years. uh, He has evaded arrest by the British police by going into the Ecuadorian embassy in London. And he was in London for a long time and could have been arrested at any moment until he crossed the threshold of that embassy. Because at that moment, technically he moved into Ecuadorian territory and British law no longer applied. 
We're going to look today at what it means for a Christian to be in Christ. Our current preaching series is Life Through God's Eyes. And all this term, we're getting God's perspective on who he is and who Christians are and what he has done for them. And we started this two weeks ago looking at God's choosing of them to be his, how before the beginning of time he chose them, how he will uh, bring them through their lives and into eternity to come. And he's at work, this choice works itself out all the way through the life of a Christian. And then last week we saw how every Christian is a saint. They are a holy one. They have the same record of perfect goodness and absolute obedience as Jesus himself. Even though, if you're a Christian here, you know you didn't do that. Even though we contributed nothing to this status, Jesus graciously gives us everything. And our standing before God is guaranteed forever. This week, we are going to go up another level of intimacy and amazement, I would suggest. And we're going to look in the same passage that we've been looking at for the last two weeks because all this and more is in Paul's opening prayer of praise, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, to the praise, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. As a plan for the, uh, as he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I don't know if you noticed, but I tried to emphasize something that Paul was saying in that passage. Look how many times this idea of being in him appears here. I guess that if you were asked to give 10 phrases to describe a Christian, most people here would not say, in Christ. That wouldn't probably be in your top 10 uh, phrases or words to understand yourself as a Christian. And yet, it is the most commonly used term to describe Christians in the Bible. It's in there over 160 times. 
And so to understand what Christianity is and who we are and what God has done for us, to see life from God's perspective, we've got to understand this. It is a spiritual reality which affects us right now and that one day we will see with our eyes clearly and enjoy forever. Understanding it will help us comprehend the full extent of God's love for us. The peace you get from knowing how safe and secure you are in God is unrivaled, as Guy was sharing earlier. And your identity will be bulletproof. Your gender, your background, your race, your class, your your social status, the opinions of others are of no significance compared to this. There is a huge richness of meaning in this small phrase, in Christ. We're going to focus on just three of the things that it means that Paul talks about in this passage. So why don't we briefly ask God to help us with this. Lord, we're asking you to give us your perspective. Whether we believe in you or not, I'm asking you that you would break in with your truth and that we would see you and what you've done and therefore ourselves as all these things really are. Holy Spirit, work in me and work in everyone here to do this, please. Amen. Amen. Okay, three things. Here's the first. This is the most obvious. In Christ means that Jesus is the object of a Christian's faith. This is the usage we are most familiar with. It's how we would most likely use the phrase ourselves. We might not say, I'm in Christ, but we would often say, I'm a believer in Christ. I have put my faith in Christ. If if you're a Christian, that would probably be a a phrase you would use. And that's what Paul does here. He talks about himself being amongst those who are the first to hope in Christ. And then to the people he's writing, he says, you also believed in him. On that night in London, as I ran through the streets, my hope was in that train. And secondarily, in my legs, that they would carry me to it. Some people trust in their good deeds and hope that that will get them through life and maybe into God's favour. Some people trust in fate to have its way with them. Some people trust in human progress to make everything better. Christians trust in Jesus. You may have noticed there's some rigging around us. And uh, it's got various bits of technology hanging off it to help you have a good experience with us today. And we are all trusting in it, aren't we? (laughs) Particularly you guys just there. We are believing that the engineering will work and that the engineers have done a good job. And just to reassure you, uh, we had it tested last week, as we do every year, and it's fine. Imagine if you were hanging on to that rigging. How much more fully would you be trusting in it? That is the kind of faith that Paul's talking about here. That is the kind of faith God is looking for. All or nothing. We prefer to put our faith in several things at once, if we're honest. We'd rather there was a bit more scaffolding around and that we had some harnesses and that there were lots of cushions or something on the floor. And then we'd say, maybe I'll hang on to this. Our financial security, 
our appearance, our relationships, the laws of our land, those who have power and influence. In these things, we also put our faith and our hope and our trust. And none of them are reliable like Jesus is. And none of them can do what Jesus has done. And so we're going to then move into our second point of what in Christ means. Because in Christ also means what Jesus has done for us. So Paul uses this phrase or its variants in the Lord, in him, that kind of thing, as shorthand for what Jesus has done for us. This is the most common use of the phrase in the New Testament and it appears several times in what we just read. To relate this to my late night London sprint, I completely stopped worrying about whether or not I was going to get home the moment I was on the train. All the fear, all the concern, all the running stopped because I was, I was on the train. That meant I was safely on my way home because the train and the driver would do their job. I appreciate if you're a regular commuter, you might not have had the same degree of faith uh, that I had. Um, But this meaning of in Christ is about his accomplishments. It's about what he has done. All the things that Jesus has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. If we believe in him, they are ours in Christ. So if we look chronologically what Paul tells us that Jesus has done. He says, verse 4, before time began, a plan was settled by God the Father and God the Son that he would rescue every believer from their rebellion and reconcile them to God. You did not contribute to that plan, but if you believe in Jesus, you benefit from that plan. Then in verse 7, Paul references Jesus coming to earth as one of us and dying for us. Paul says that we can be redeemed, which means bought out of slavery to ourselves and to our sins, to the mistakes that we make. And we can be forgiven for everything that we've done wrong. Because Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf and then he died in our place before God on the cross, shedding his blood. Again, you didn't do that. You weren't there. You couldn't have done it even if you were. But it was done for you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you have this credited to you. Verse 13 tells us that God the Father and God the Son in heaven agreed to send God the Holy Spirit to every new believer as a sign of their belonging to him. Again, you weren't there. You didn't contribute to the discussion. You received what God gave you when you believed. Verse 11 says, when we die, we'll enter the inheritance that Jesus has already won for us and that he is going to make as he makes everything new. We will come into that, the eternal joy of life with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is going to do that for you. Again, you can't do it, but he can. And if you're in him, this is true for you. And verses 9 to 10 say that at the end of this present age, all things, including us, will be united in Jesus as the completion of God's great plan. He'll do all of that too. This should transform every Christian's thinking and therefore every Christian's behaviour. If you're a Christian, you know what it's like when you've done something wrong and you, you hate that you've done it wrong. 
And it may not affect anyone else. It seemingly, no one else seems to be, but you know it's a sin. You know it's something you've done wrong and your relationship with God is, it, it's out of sync because of it. It's, you're out of harmony with him for doing that. And when that happens and those pangs of guilt uh, grab us, what are we to do? And you'll know this because you'll have done it. And I've done it. You think, next time, next time. Next time that opportunity comes. Next time I'm in that situation. Next time I, can, I could do this or I could not do that. I will do better. Is that okay? Or, hmm, not so confident in next time. But I am confident that this is a good thing and this is a thing I can do. So if I do as many of these good things as I possibly can, maybe I'll ups- offset this thing that I just did that I wish I hadn't done and that you don't like God. Is, is that okay? We do those things. We make those kind of deals because we have forgotten what Jesus has done for us. If you're a Christian, you are in Christ and that means all that he did is yours. Everything that Jesus did is yours. He died for your sins. They have been punished and dealt with by God. He lived a perfect sinless life and this is how God sees us because Jesus has shared his righteousness, this goodness, this perfection with us. So if you're in Christ, that's how God sees you. Not because you were like that or you even are like that, but that's because what Jesus is like and he shared it with you. It's a surreal moment when you realise that. Because everything in you thinks, I must do something to fix this. I must do something to make it up better, make it up to him. And no. We repent, we turn away. But as we do so, God forgives us because someone else has dealt with it and someone else has given you their good life. The other day I met with someone and he, uh, he, you could tell that he was a wealthy guy used to dealing with wealthy guys, so he was slightly patronising in tone with me, which was fine. Um, and I asked him what he did and he said, well, one of the things I do, I do several things, one of the things I do for private clients is I'm a reputation manager. And I help them deal with things that they've done that they'd rather they hadn't done, and certainly that they'd rather other people didn't know they had done. And these may be people with, of high net worth or uh, known in the public arena. And there was no point I was saying to him, do you want to you know, <laughs> share any of that? <laughs> if I'd been a quicker off the mark conversationalist, I would have said, well, that's really interesting because I know someone like that. I know someone who's probably better at that than you are. (laughs) That's what Jesus does. He doesn't hide them, though. He takes them on himself. And he doesn't pretend, and we don't pretend, that we've got it all together. But we see that he has, and that he has shared his righteousness with us. What about the terrors of this world? What about the uncertainties of our lives? Is the path of our life clear ahead? Are we secure in our present situation? Can we trust the politicians, the bankers, the culture shapers? Can we trust our friends? Can we trust our family and everyone else to ensure that life goes for us as we want it to go? 
Or if you're a Christian and you're experiencing some, some doubts in your faith, you, you, you're messing up, you're frustrated, you're not how you want to be and you're thinking to yourself, am I going to fall away? Is this going to be something that just happened when I was younger and then it's gone? No. We are in Christ and all that he did is ours. And he has ascended to heaven in victory. He has gone ahead of us. If you're a Christian, he has gone ahead of you. And what has happened to him, if you are in him, will happen to you too. He will take you from here to there. He'll get it done. Because he died, but then he rose to glorious new life. And so if you're in him, that is what has happened and will happen to you. And this is the only security that can last the full distance of our existence. So is there anything left for us to do? In terms of our sins being forgiven, in terms of our righteousness and rightness with God, I mean, no, he's dealt with all of that. But does that mean we just sit around? We're just passive and like, Jesus apparently is going to deal with all of this and so I'm fine. Well, no, because we are in Christ and all that he did is ours. And he has given us his authority and he's given us his power and he's given us his mission to fill the world with the glory of God. And so he makes you a co-laborer, a partner in the business with him, a friend with whom he walks and talks and works. And so where you go to work, where you go to live, where you go to play, Jesus goes with you and works with you. So in Christ means it's, that's the one in whom we're believing. It means that everything he's done is credited to us. And then thirdly, in Christ means spiritual union with Jesus. And when we say that Christians are in Christ, that's exactly what we mean. It's not a metaphor. It's not a picture to help you understand something. It is what it is. And theologians often describe this as being, um, uh, describe it as a mystical spiritual union. And when theologians are describing things as mystical, that's their way of saying, this is really complicated, or we don't quite get it, or it's on the boundaries of our comprehension. But it's in God's word, he wants you to know it, and so I want to try and explain it to us today. So let's look at what Paul says to help us understand what this means. In verse 3, he says that Christians have been blessed in the heavenly places. Hands up if you've ever been to the heavenly places. You have not, have you? You know that. You might think, I mean, Edinburgh's nice. (laughs) But I don't think it's what Paul means. You're right, but... Jesus has been, Jesus is in the heavenly places. In verse 23 of Ephesians 1, Paul says that Christ has been raised to new life and is seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. And then Ephesians 2 verse 6 tells us, God raised him up with him, watch this, past tense, which means this has already happened, 
and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hence, Paul qualifies in verse 3, been blessed in the heavenly places by saying, in Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What has happened to Jesus in heaven has happened to us if we're Christians because we are in him. We're in him. Where he is, we are. We are joined with him, united to him. We are part of him. However mysterious this is, there's a lot of proof about it in the Bible. Paul says that the church is Jesus' body. So if you are in the church, which means that's what you should be as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you're in the church, you are in the body of Christ. You are in Christ. When the resurrected Jesus interrupted Paul's uh, pre-Christian life of attacking Christians, Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say to him, why are you persecuting all those people who have believed in me over there? He said, why are you persecuting me? And this isn't just because Jesus is so lovely and empathetic and he's really, you know, he's really associating himself with them. No, he's saying, to attack that Christian is to attack me. And in John 15, Jesus said to his, his disciples, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He's saying you have to be in him. If you're his, you are in him. How is this possible? Because Jesus does have a physical body and is in heaven as a man. You think, well, I'm definitely, therefore, not in him in that sense. Well, that's why we call it a spiritual union. We It happens through faith. We believe in him, and as we do so, immediately we are united with him. Baptism in water unites us with him. Romans 6 verse 3 says, when we're baptised as believers, we are baptised into Christ Jesus. It's one of the reasons why sprinkling just won't cut it, because baptism is an into moment. And therefore, baptism isn't just a picture of something happening. It is an act in which we are put into Christ as a spiritual reality. And if you're a Christian and you're not yet baptised, 19th of November, clear your diary, speak to your small group leader. We're going to have baptisms here at the morning service and in the evening service as well. And it's time to get it done. So, this union happens through faith, in baptism, and through the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him. So this, is, you know, this really is the answer. How do we abide in him? By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He has given us his Holy Spirit. 
God lives in us by his spirit, and by the same spirit, we live in him. Spiritual reality happening right now for every Christian. Paul actually compares this to how sex unites a husband and wife. He quotes uh, Genesis 1 on Adam and Eve saying, the two will become one flesh. It's about marriage. And Paul then says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. And also, the meal Jesus gives us. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, he's talking about the wine or the juice that we drink, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Rhetorical question, answer yes. So when we take communion together, which is exactly what it means, this together, this sharing, not just with one another, but with him, this sharing with him of himself, our spiritual union with him. We're reminded of it, we see it, we experience it. We started today by thinking of trains or buildings as places of safety. But that is too impersonal for understanding what God's done for us who believe in him. It doesn't take us to a full enough extent. Because we don't just share in what he's done. We share in who he is. To be given Christ's rewards is one thing. And is frankly enough, isn't it? If we finished after the second point, not only would you be slightly less confused, but you would have been like, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. I will take that. You don't need to give me any more, Lord. It's incredible. But he is not satisfied with that. To be given Christ's rewards is one thing. To be welcomed into God's presence as his loved one is another level altogether. Verse 6 says, he has blessed us in the beloved. That word beloved seems to be God the Father's name or description of God the Son. When Jesus was baptised, We're told that as he was raised up out of the water, a loud voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. When uh, when Jesus went up the uh, mountain with uh, Peter and James and John, he was transfigured before them. They saw uh, his glory and again God spoke and again God said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And when Jesus told a story about him being sent from the Father to earth, he said that the Father sent a beloved son. This is what God the Father thinks of God the Son. He is his beloved. And it is into that relationship of eternal and divine love that all Christians find themselves brought. Not spectators. Not guests. Not even close friends who are really excited to see this loving relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit that's always existed and it's always been in perfect harmony. It's so beautiful and so wonderful. How amazing it would be to see that. That's what we think. How amazing it would be to understand that. How amazing it would be to be close to that. And God says, yeah, pretty amazing. 
but not as amazing as what I've planned for you. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, God loves the Christian as he loves the Son. If you're a Christian, you are as loved by God as Jesus. And you are being brought into and one day will be fully in to that glorious God relationship. We're way beyond train catching stories now. Let's just see how it doesn't work as a metaphor for what God has done. I put a lot of effort into it, actually. I ran a long way, and it was hard. And we made it, but the driver didn't care. It didn't make any difference to him. And, I mean, the train itself obviously had no interest whatsoever being an inanimate, inanimate collection of objects. But what if I'd stumbled out of that pub even later? What if I'd walked to the tube station and seen the locked doors, realised my terrible, costly mistake, realised what a mess I was in, and then turned round and saw my dad there? And he'd said, son, you've missed the train. Running won't help. And I knew you would, and so I've brought the car. So get in, and we're going home. And he'd said all of it with the widest smile on his face. Some of you could never imagine your earthly fathers doing that. But we have seen today that our heavenly father is even better than that. All the love of God, all the blessings of God can be yours, are yours, if you're a Christian, now and forever. Why would you trust in anything else? Maybe you're not yet a Christian here today and you just, you're just doing the maths right now. And you're thinking, all the stuff I'm trying to trust in does not offer anything like that. You're right. So forget it. And put your trust in this alone. This one alone. This wonderful God. And all of this that I've described today will be true for you. And Christian, stop thinking wrongly about yourself and about God when he has done these things for you. Delight in this. Rejoice in this. Say it to yourself as many times as it takes for you to get it. Know that this is who he is. Know this is what he's done for us. Know that all the other practical things that we'll look at flow out of this, that we are in Christ. And it's the best news possible.